Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. The value that I can provide to all these departments is visibility and context. The perfect strategy for support or something like security doesn't exist. It's contextual, right? And the things that we're trying to do as a business, the things that are happening outside of those departments that maybe I have visibility into, that is value that I can provide to those people in shifting their strategy and setting the right strategy that's contextually appropriate. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the Engineering Leadership Community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. This is the natural order of leadership growth. As your scope expands and you take on more organizations, different domains, you're now in a place where you're going to need to lead beyond your domain expertise. You're going to need to understand how can you empower the expertise of other people. We discuss leading beyond domain expertise with Matt Spitz, head of engineering at Vanta. We deconstruct Matt's experience leading a successful security program before hiring on an expert. And we get into topics like leading teams beyond your skill set, fostering an effective security culture before bringing on that expert, how to know when you are ready for a domain expert, some frameworks for hiring and managing experts beyond your domain. We also get into effective communication strategies when working with various domain experts. And we also talk about things like setting the right technical direction when you're not that expert. Let me introduce you to Matt. Matt Spitz is the head of engineering at the trust management platform provider, Vanta, where he helps companies practice better security. Previously, he co-founded and led Dropbox's New York City office, started a company, and has built and scaled diverse engineering teams solving complex product and infrastructure challenges. He lives in San Francisco, and he rides his bike to work. Enjoy this conversation with Matt Spitz. Welcome, Matt. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a longtime listener of the ELC podcast, and it's my first time being on it. Perfect. You know how we do things a little bit. You've, you've been a part of the flow of conversation. When we were chatting about what would be really fun to get into, we, we broadly talked about leading beyond domain expertise. And as somebody expands their leadership capability, that becomes more and more of reality. But I think what's been interesting is in talking with a lot of folks, like this is also a huge area of anxiety because we sort of exist in, and operate in a world in which expertise and skill is so highly valued. But naturally, when your leadership expands, you're going to be leading more people in areas where you are no longer the expert and you have to figure out how to be effective and great in that environment. And so this is something that you've spent a lot of time thinking about in different points of your career. So to begin, let's just talk more broadly about, you know, when you think about this concept of managing beyond your domain expertise, like what does this mean to you and how has this shown up within like your observation as a leader? It's related to the typical manager path and growth as one transitions from an IC role into a manager role and then as the scope of that manager role expands over time. Typically, when somebody moves from an IC role to a manager role, they do so on the team that they're on. You know, I think like having familiarity with the people that they're working with and the domain is like a is a helpful crutch for someone who's learning essentially a brand new job in being a manager. It's very different from being an individual contributor, even as a technical leader or whatever. 
essentially that is the beginning of the transition from developing muscle and expertise in a particular domain and developing muscle and expertise in the craft of management and that completely different job. For me, that first experience of leading beyond domain expertise came when I transitioned to manage a team of full stack web engineers. That was not where I grew up as an IC. So I could no longer rely on my prior expertise in developing mobile apps, in developing infrastructure, in managing that team. I had to learn to build the structures and processes that enabled me to convince myself that the team was doing the best work that it could and it was approaching problems appropriately, delivering results on time in reasonable timelines given the work that they were doing without literally having that expertise myself. And as I've transitioned, as the scope of my role has transitioned beyond software engineering to include more and different types of functions, that muscle has needed to get stronger in convincing myself that domains and departments outside of engineering completely are working on the right things, that they're delivering the results on time, et cetera, et cetera. And that the leaders in those seats are the best leaders that we have, that we're capable of hiring, and that those people are being grown and supported, et cetera. And so it's really developing the muscle of management, which is a brand new muscle at the beginning of that manager's path and continues to evolve as the scope of one's role grows and changes over time. I love the metaphor of muscle uh, for two reasons. One, it sort of implies controllable, trainable, improvable, and also two, because my background is in exercise science. So I was like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll talk about build muscle all day. This is great. Hmm. Um, and like coordinating movement. So love that. I wanted to follow up specifically around how you approached some of the challenges of building this muscle in, I think, these two specific moments. So talking about, you know, the transition to leading a full stack web engineering team to broader functions. Were there specific management tools or skills that helped you in either of those pathways? At the end of the day, right, what you need to do is, as a manager, ensure that the resources, be they people or otherwise, under your control are contributing in the optimal way to business outcomes. That's both in the short term, right? What are the short term commitments? Did, did, we, did we do what we say what we were going to do? And it also extends to strategy and roadmap and ensuring that we're working on the right things, that the approach that we're taking to those initiatives is the appropriate approach, et cetera. And I think that there's a tempting trap to fall into in both of those cases where you feel like you need to develop the expertise and be the expert in the room in order to be a leader for those things, which is tempting for two reasons. One, like it's infeasible, especially as the scope of one's world changes, you can't be the best at everything. But it also is extremely disempowering for other folks on those teams. If you're talking to someone who has a lot of experience doing full stack web development or leading a department, and you just read a book on it, and now you're trying to lead as if you're their expert. And so I think that the biggest tool that I've been able to leverage in both of those contexts is the people on the team and convincing myself that they are working on the right things, convincing myself that the approach is good. And typically there's a couple of tools that I've used to do that are one, like just helping that person convince themselves that they're working on the right things. Like they come up with the strategy, I probe and push on it and make sure that they themselves are convinced of that strategy. And often that reveals this sort of like outsider opinion reveals a lot of opportunities for them to evolve and improve on that strategy. And the second is sort of outside help. And whether that's outside help in the company of like other full stack web engineers at the company mentoring the technical lead on the team, or in the case of managing a department, like finding external resources and sounding boards to help and coach that person in a way that I can't, right? I can't help a technical support leader be a better technical support leader. What I can do is find her opportunities and connections outside of the company to help her grow and help her grow her career. 
I think you've teased some really exciting concepts that we want to drill into a, a little bit, but I wanted to go a little bit of a di- different direction first before we dive deep into some specific examples for how some of, you know, convincing the right people that they're the expert um, and helping get them get the resources to be successful. Before we dive deep into that, I wanted to talk a little bit about your transition from Dropbox to Vanta and how some of the the elements of leading beyond your expertise have shown up from then to now. And so I was wondering, can you talk to us a little bit about making that transition? What's been different? And how has this sort of theme been at play? I lead engineering at Vanta. Prior to joining Vanta, I was a director of engineering at Dropbox. At many large companies, the director level role That's sort of when you get visibility into business problems outside of the area that you're responsible for. You have an opportunity to influence and affect change more broadly in the business. And that sort of shape and scope of role is manifest differently (laughs) at a tiny company where I'm responsible for engineering. But the principles are very similar. The muscle that I developed at Dropbox was like understanding a larger organization, making sure that other teams were working towards the same goals, et cetera. That muscle is less useful at a tiny company where you can make decisions and execute on them that afternoon. The clock speed is much faster. There's less infrastructure to support you, but the principles are the same. And I think a phrase I like to use is nothing is not my problem. And the Mm. director level role at a larger company is the beginning of where you can really, you have enough visibility into what's happening in the business to really actually impact those other departments and other pieces of the company. And at a small company, you absolutely, and, and especially in a head of engineering role of a small company, you you have no choice but to impact and affect change across the entire business. Are there other mindset shifts that had to happen when you were making that transition? So you talked about like nothing is is not your problem. Are there other things that have to you have to make a big cognitive change before you, you take on that responsibility? Yeah, and, and I think I opted into this because I wouldn't have looked at head of engineering roles at small mm-hmm. companies had I not wanted this. But as I mentioned earlier, the clock speed at a smaller company is way, way, way faster <laughs> than in a larger company. What a larger company would plan in months, we're planning in weeks. What a larger company would plan in weeks, we're planning in days. To the extent that annual planning is durable at a smaller company, it's just it's so, somewhat laughable in many ways. And I think that that could be perceived as chaotic, right? There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot to be aware of. There's a lot to follow along with and things change constantly. But I think from a mindset perspective, that actually offers a huge opportunity to move quickly and be scrappy. And the mindset shift from what good looks like at a larger company to what good looks like at a smaller company is that with a larger company, because things move so slowly, you often get one shot at changing things. You want to update the career framework for mm-hmm. engineering. You want to update the, the interview loop for a software engineering role. You better get it right because it takes a long time to get alignment. It takes a long time to roll it out. It takes a long time to, to do that. And like you can iterate on that like once every couple of few years at most. At a small company, like I can change the interview loop this afternoon and we can start testing it tomorrow. And the bar for quality is a lot lower because we can change it so much more quickly. There's a mindset shift of what we like to call bias for action and commit to iteration. It's like, let's just try something. If it works, great. Let's make it better and let's get feedback and continue on, on our way. If it doesn't work, fine, let's throw it out. And getting comfortable with that mindset as a leader and also instilling that culture on the team, I think enables you to do a lot in a very short amount of time, which is very different from a larger company. I think that's what makes startups intriguing to a lot of people. The number of iterations you can do in the same amount of time is just really higher. You mentioned that you rely on the people to do the right thing. And as an outsider, you have some advantage of not knowing things will identify blind spots. But there's still a need for you to have a meaningful 
conversation on the subject matter that you are not expert. How do you carry on that conversation in a way that is contributing at a level, a right level of abstraction, so that you don't have to go too deep? Can you talk more about what approach you are taking, and is that transferable domain to domain? Let's take the example of leading a department where we're not familiar with it. And so, for example, at Vanta today, the technical support department reports up through me, as does security. Maybe taking technical support as an example, I do not have expertise in technical support. I've never worked in technical support. But in general, I've observed technical support at companies that I've worked at. I've been a customer of technical support in many situations in my life. And as an outsider, I have some opinions and some familiarity with it. And I think the approach that I've taken is twofold. One, to just come as a student and go to that department head and say, hey, like, what does good look like? You tell me. I mean, I'd love to understand, like, what your strategy is, how you want to make this department the best department at, at any company it could possibly be. Diving deep and really understanding that, I think that sends a message that I care. The other thing that I have, the value that I can provide to all these departments is visibility and context. The perfect strategy for support or something like security doesn't exist. It's contextual, right? And the things that we're trying to do as a business, the things that are happening outside of those departments that maybe I have visibility into, that is value that I can provide to those people in shifting their strategy and setting the right strategy that's contextually appropriate. My approach there has been like really getting into learning what's happening with those departments and really understanding from their perspective what good looks like, and then also giving them the context to be able to shape what good looks like in the context of the company that we're at today. The other part of the challenge I can see in eyes on your leaders is that while you're not expert, like say in security or other domains, and you have an expert on the team, but you are still kind of responsible, accountable for the outcome. And you want to engage in that conversation with it. It's making sure that the outcome is good. And you mentioned probing as you have conversations with the main expert. What's your approach to probing? Is it more of a standard list of questions or a framework you rely on to like, you know, with a similar to coaching, like help you to solve your own problem, that kind of way? I think that there's a few different ways to think about it. So one is just general management coaching, setting a strategy, communicating a strategy, breaking it down into the appropriate initiatives, like sequencing those initiatives, breaking those down into things that we can execute on, like coming to deadlines and dates for dates, et cetera, et cetera. Like those are sorts of things that are generic and applicable in any, regardless of the domain that you're working on. There's providing context and taking that expertise and contextualizing it for the company. And so Again, as I mentioned earlier, there's giving that person the context of what the business context in which they're operating and then asking probing questions to convince themselves that what they're doing is the right thing. And I think that you'd be surprised that an interested outsider can have a significant impact just by asking questions and playing back what a person is telling them. It makes that leader sort of think about things differently and refine their strategy based on that. And the third tool here, again, I can't coach on, I don't have more domain expertise than our security lead. But what I can do is find people in my network, in the company's network, et cetera, who are domain expertise, or if at least peers, if not people who have more expertise, and hook that person up, hook our security lead up with those people as a way to sort of pressure test the hey, this is how I'm interpreting what Vanta's needs are today. This is what I think we need to focus on from a security perspective. What do you think, interested outsider who has security domain expertise? When do you know you can stop probing and you know this is very good? You, you get to what you want. It's more of an art than a science. When I am convinced that they are convinced and have done sufficient diligence that their plan is the right plan and approach, then I think I'm done. We have to accept the fact that while we're responsible, accountable, but there are risks to take. Oh, absolutely. If there's one constant, it's change and risk and imperfection and incompleteness. I just want to go back. I love the phrase of 
you'd be amazed about the power of an interested outsider and how that curiosity can really help validate an expert on your team's approach. And just asking those questions can be transformational in terms of gaining confidence, increasing the probability of success or accuracy there. I love that. You mentioned security a couple of times, and I would love to do a deep dive into the example here because, you know, you'd mentioned coming in as head of engineering for Vanta. And as a result of that, have to build out a lot of different capabilities, security being an example of that. And so would love to dive into your experience. Like how did you go about developing and leading a successful security program without maybe having an expert on your team and going beyond maybe your current expertise here? Yeah, happy to. So I think it's probably helpful to understand specifically for security, the like evolution of that function over time. And typically a co-founder is not a security lead. When you're a couple of folks in a garage, there's literally nothing to lose. And so there's nothing to secure. And you should probably focus on getting customers, finding product market fit, hiring great people, et cetera, et cetera, all the other 5,000 things that a company has to do. On the other end of the security maturity curve is companies that are investing in security to mitigate risk. And if you look at something, company like Google or Dropbox or whatever, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of customers. Those customers have interesting data. They have a brand and a reputation to protect. There's a lot of things that can go poorly if they were to get hacked or have a security breach. Therefore, those companies invest in understanding what that risk is, taking actions and controls to mitigate that risk to the business. And in an ideal sense, it's very quantifiable, right? If we had a major brand reputation impact that would cost us this amount of money, what can we do to make sure that the expected value of that breach is sufficiently low enough that we're okay with the risk, et cetera, et cetera. What's interesting is that like on either ends of the spectrum where you have a couple of folks in the garage and you have a Google, like over that time, the value of the company and the interest of that company to potential hackers or other bad folks increases because as the company has more interesting data and the company's security program sort of needs to evolve to meet that. When I joined Vanta at about 20 people, we were not doing interesting enough things to merit hiring a full-time security lead until we did when we were about maybe 100, 150 people and did bring in our first security lead. The responsibility for security lies with everyone, but also kind of no one, and nominally, typically the head of engineering, so me. My job and my role at that point was to ensure that we were fostering an appropriate culture of security, both to lay the groundwork for an eventual security lead that comes in, and then also to bridge the gap until we have someone with domain expertise and whose full-time job it was to think about the company's security. It's a challenge because especially, you know, as any executive at a startup, there's like 500,000 things to do. And security is always is one of those things where like what good looks like is when bad things don't happen. So it's really hard to prioritize against closing a customer or hiring a great person where there's very tangible benefits. There's a balance to strike between making sure that you are practicing good enough security over that time, again, to bridge the gap, while also like making sure that the business is moving forward and that we are maximizing our impact. You talked about a couple specific elements that I want to dig into a little bit. So you talked about your role within that. You talked about laying the foundation for security culture and then like some of the foundational habits of the organization to help set up for when you eventually bring in that expert. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, the individual effort to sort of maximize an area like security? So like what were some of the strategies you used to get kind of the best effort of yourself in that situation when you were the the main person responsible for building out that function? The secret trick here is not to be solely responsible for security at a company. Potential security issues can happen anywhere. If only one person is responsible for it, that means that 
my eyes have to be on all the places where there might be security issues. I need to know enough of the context to be able to identify that something would be a security issue. And securing a company is like securing a house. There's a lot of doors and windows, and it's they're pretty easy to close once you know where they are. But there's a lot of different simple ways that pose potential security threats, and one person alone cannot do it. So the trick is to foster a culture where you have people where security is everybody's responsibility to some extent, mm-hmm. and that people are invested and see the value in developing secure software and good security practices to start. Can you share what building that culture translate into actions or evaluation on performance, et cetera, so it's more tangible on a day-to-day basis? Manifesting a culture in which security is everybody's responsibility is entirely a matter of incentives. And as a leader, what I care about sends a very strong signal to the team as to what they might care about or what they should care about. That translates to a few different things. So one is just a curiosity about security generally. What are best security practices at a company like Vanta at our size? What does good look like? And there's a bunch of literature out there about like startup security and like things you can do in the short term before you have like a full program or full team. Reading those articles and sharing them sends a signal to them that being curious about security and things like that is something that's encouraged and there's discussion around that. The next thing that we did was create space for security discussions. Every couple of weeks, the team would get together and brainstorm like, hey, what are some things we can do that are important but not urgent? If a security issue is urgent, it's way too late. But if it's, what are some things that are that would be important to improve the security of our company? And whether that is new development practices, different ways to have access to different things, like improving our offboarding checklist for people who are leaving the company. It's like, it spans anything, not just limited to engineering. Let's just brainstorm. Like, what are some things that we might do based on what we see and what we know and what we've learned are best practices? And let's just make some suggestions. And then the third thing to do, and this is the most important thing to do as a leader, is to actually fund some of those things that are important. Because if you create a space to brainstorm and those just go into a black hole, there's no incentive to actually propose something again. By creating the space for folks to propose ideas and then actually taking action on them so we go and do them, so we actually do go put our AWS behind SSO, so we actually do go codify our onboarding checklist in a better way, that sends a signal that I care about this and that more people's eyes on security issues and making suggestions actually gets actioned and turned into reality. And by doing that, you have more people paying attention. You have more people suggesting ideas. There's a more like healthy collective culture around security. And it's no longer just my problem. I love to create the space for discussions because I think about the quote of like, show me your calendar and I'll show you your values. Carving out those discussions as priority things to have ultimately showcases that they're a priority as an organization to talk about. And then the incentives you talked about is like actually fund the programs or actually fund the projects and the initiatives is really important. Continuing on with the, the theme of examples, you know, in this in this time frame between 20 and 100 people, were there some examples of how to lay some of those foundational elements for security or some of the security practices? Are there any tools that you'd recommend or, or different ways that you found to be helpful in kind of like that early stage? Because of the nature of Vanta's work as a security and compliance company, some of this groundwork pre-existed or predated me, but the median 20-person company may not have these things in place. You know, some suggestions are leveraging SSO wherever possible, you know, whether that's Google Workspace or even going deeper in something like Okta. The more that you can centralize access to things as opposed to sharing passwords or like passing passwords around, one, it's just a productivity improvement. You just click a button and you're logged into something, but also 
there's a meaningful security impact in offboarding. So instead of having to remember all the things that somebody has access to and removing access for them one by one, you can just remove access to SSO and take care of the majority of them. Related, keeping an offboarding checklist, whether that's access to systems or physical things like a key to a physical office space, just keeping a list of all the things that might be good to check when somebody leaves the company enables you to capture the things that SSO doesn't cover and you know make sure that someone doesn't have access to company or customer information after they leave the company. The key there is really just starting simple. There's a lot of ways to automate offboarding. Vanta, the product, helps with this a lot. At a larger company, there are teams that do this. But for the median 20-person company, just start with a spreadsheet. It's not perfect. But as I was saying earlier, like the startup mentality of biasing for action and committing to iteration, something is better than nothing. And as you run through it, and maybe you miss something for some person who is offboarded, you add that line to the spreadsheet and it's captured for next time. Starting with something and making it better over time allows you to evolve with the needs of the business much faster than waiting to do anything until you have a perfect solution for it. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I want to talk about the transition moment, Matt, where, you know, at this point, you've set the foundation, you've set the culture, the organization's mature enough in which you're bringing in domain expertise to continue to mature out and build out that function. So first off, how do you know when you're ready to hire an expert in a particular area like security? What should somebody look for? And how can they make that go, no go decision for that next step in the org? For me, the transition became very apparent as the person who is I mean, ultimately responsible and accountable for security in the organization. It got to the point that there was enough complexity in the org, enough growth, enough surface area where I felt that one, there was a lot of work to be done that I wasn't able to sort of prioritize myself, but it's beyond delegation. It was reaching a level of complexity where I didn't know what to do next and the sort of like best practices and the advisorship that I, we got is past the point where I was confident that me sort of like stewarding a best effort security was going to work much longer. And I felt uncomfortable with the level of risk that, that we were carrying without having expertise in security specifically. That was a big moment for me. Were there any indicators of, of that moment? Like so you're talking about like the, the discomfort for risk. Well, I guess when you're trying to prioritize your time where you're like, was it because it was hard to fit in the type of work that was going to be able to prioritize that? Like what did that kind of look like from a signal perspective? Yeah, fortunately, there wasn't a big smoking gun or a big breach or a big security incident that triggered all this. I think what I noticed was that, so we obviously use Vanta, the product to help us with our Vanta security program. And some of the things that our product helps people do is sort of ensure that hard drives are encrypted and ensuring that laptops are returned when somebody onboards or offboards. There's enough work to be done to like nag people to get that going that it was consuming up a fair amount of my time. And I sort of also realized that like we, Vanta, the product, have sort of decided what we believe is good for a, at the time, an earlier stage company we've since gone further up market and helping larger companies with their security needs. But at the time, like we had a, we had an opinion as to what good looked like from a security perspective. And it felt that the complexity of our business had sort of outgrown that at the time. I was worried that there was things that I was missing as a result of that. And that the creating a space to surface security issues, making sure to action them, that that wasn't going to last on its own. 
In my experience as a venture customer on the graduate side, there's also an element of project management that, as you mentioned, you need to push people to remind, turn all those things on, and that just needs someone's constant attention. Otherwise, if it's you doing all of that, it just creates a lot of disruption to your work. That's true. I do want to say that security goes beyond project management. Certainly, there's definitely that element of execution to it. But I think that there were unique enough needs in our business at the time, in the in terms of the fast growing customer base, fast growing employee count, etc., that it felt a little unwieldy given the amount of expertise that I and collectively the team had. What were some of the things that you found effective to hire and manage an expert? I guess in a domain area, maybe that is beyond your your area of expertise. What was that like, and what did you find successful there? Going back to what I was saying earlier around leveraging an external network, whether that's my network or the company's network, I'm fortunate to have been connected with folks who have tread this path before I have, or have different experiences that are inspiring and very helpful for me. I've started with that network. Have you hired a security lead before? What did you think about when you were hiring for security? Fortunately, again, just given the nature of Vanta's business, there are enough people in sort of our investor network and advisors that there's a wealth of people who had very good expertise that were willing to share that with me and talk me through that. I can imagine security focused company tapped into the experts will plug you into the right people for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely helps. I mean, we didn't necessarily leverage them for sourcing for the role necessarily, but we would have had we not found somebody as quickly as we did. In terms of evaluating that person, evaluating the profile that we were looking for, et cetera, et cetera, that was informed by the expertise that we cultivated in, in our network. Similarly, when hiring a head of IT, going through leveraging our VC network, leveraging other engineering leaders in our network or my network who had hired these sorts of roles before helped inform me what sorts of things to look for and how to evaluate them. It's tempting to Try to evaluate someone on domain expertise when they are the domain expert. And you may need to just leverage more like reference calls or other sorts of signal to get that expertise and other people who've worked with them before. Where you can evaluate somebody is in how they will fit in with your company in terms of the culture that they will create. This is super important from a security perspective. Like what is the security culture that they will bring to the company and that they will instill? Because that has incredibly powerful ramifications for years to come. The, the security culture element, I think, is interesting because everybody talks about culture fit for the company, but it's the, kind of the first exposure I've had to like assess for security culture fit and how that meshes with your company. Can you share a little bit more about, about like what you look for, specifically around like the security culture element? This is a broader shift in our industry around what good security culture looks like. And I may characterize this a little bit, but you know, historically, security has been seen as and treated as a no organization, where they're going to tell you that you can't do things, you can't use that library, you can't use that tool, you can't do things in this way, like introducing friction or introducing ways, to, finding ways to say no. I think that the best security cultures that companies have in the last like five to 10 years have really been organizations that find ways to say yes and find ways to accelerate the business. And I was fortunate enough to observe and work with the security team at Dropbox that embodied this culture quite a bit. For example, I was working on like new zero to one products and just like rapid iteration. Let's just throw stuff at the wall and see what happens. And I talked to the security department and they, it was like, ah, but like, what if we're doing things that like maybe risks the security of, you know, what, what are the security risks or how do I think about it? And basically what they told me is if you're not launching it beyond a certain number of customers, like I don't care. 
the risk is just not meaningful to me. And that was a big eye-opening experience for me to just sort of realize that, wait a minute, this person's like actually trying to help me get things done and give me guidance to how to do so securely rather than just being a naysayer or someone who's trying to get in the way. The reason why that's really important to have a security culture like that is that going back to incentives and how you create a culture, and this exists prior to a security lead, if you have a culture where people are comfortable bringing things to the security team or comfortable raising security concerns, then they'll do it. If they don't feel comfortable that they shipped a change that like maybe exposed some, there's something fishy in the logs, let's go look at it. Or they see something that looks like a security issue. If they don't feel comfortable surfacing that because they feel like their head will get cut off or whatever, that's really bad because they don't surface the issue. You don't know about it. You can't talk about it in a objective way in terms of how to fix that issue, how to make things better in the future, et cetera. There's like a there's a huge cultural element to making the security team accessible, making the security team like focused on moving the business forward rather than introducing friction. And that culturally is important to lay the groundwork for before a person even comes in. But when you hire that person, just like really deeply understanding the culture that they will bring to a company enables you to be confident that you're laying the groundwork for the organization going forward. It's, it's such a helpful paradigm or perspective shift in terms of making a hire like that. The cultural evaluation element was something totally off my off my radar. So at this point in time, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about some of your experience and shifts in which sort of leading beyond domain expertise is, has shown up. We've talked about some of the specific examples of security, IT, and gotten to the point of where we're now talking about, you know, bringing somebody in. We'd love to dive into some of the like leadership conversations that you navigate in this area when you bring on experts in these sort of expanded functions, just some of the, the leadership dynamics that come to play. So I think we'd love to talk about like, Effective communication with some of these domain experts, maybe in areas where they definitely have more domain expertise. What have you found to be helpful or effective in like communicating effectively in, in terms of like trying to get things done with some of these different functions? Yeah, I think it, the in contrast to some leadership roles where the people who are in your organization are delivering on the broader strategy that you yourself are responsible for setting. I find that when managing department heads, these are department heads, right? These, do, these are the domain experts, the buck stops with them for security, IT, technical support, et cetera. I find that it's leadership as a peer rather than leadership as sort of like dictating what they might do, in part because they are the domain expert. And your job then as a leader is to ensure that that expertise is applied effectively at your company. What that ends up looking like is ensuring that they have the right company context and what's happening to be able to set their own strategy and their own roadmap, convincing themselves of the goals that they set for themselves, convincing themselves that the way in which they are approaching these initiatives are appropriate, convincing themselves that they've broken things down appropriately, holding them accountable to the roadmaps and goals that they set for themselves, and also finding ways to verify beyond just trusting the domain expertise. And so, you know, some of this comes from understanding what metrics a technical support organization sees as important. And they report on those metrics month to month. I have like a monthly business review cadence set up with them. But also just like in the verification step there is looking at the state of the art, looking around the industry. Are those the right metrics? Or is that is that industry standard? If they're different, why? Let's make sure we understand that. Secondarily, like finding ways to go and look at those metrics myself, in addition to having them self-report. This is not a, because I don't trust this person, but it's just I want to make sure that I understand where all this is coming from so I can understand it as best I can. Again, as an interested outsider, more than as someone who knows how to do it better than the person that I'm managing. I think that's a very good call out how we position ourselves relative to the people in your team that leading function. So the peer positioning does provide a set of mindset that come along with that. It just seems happens, you know, right away naturally. Without that may 
people, it's become very natural to come to a conversation and you are you know, putting yourself as the expert just accidentally. Exactly. It's empowering for them too, right? Like the security lead didn't join Vanta for me to tell them how to be a better security lead. I can help them with the lead part of that, but the security part of that is them. They're the expert. I can help them convince themselves of the things that they're doing. I can help get them support externally. I can do a lot of things to support them on their career journey, but it's not like you're not giving them more domain expertise or teaching them how to do their job better in the context of the domain. With some of the principles you shared here, one application that in some conversations we've had with different engineering leaders that has been particularly contentious for different reasons has been like the technical direction conversation. So the specific example I'm talking about is we had a head of engineering talking about conflict between his perspective, head of engineering, CTO, and like chief architect yeah, all had different opinions we, around the technical uh, direction. There's probably an issue of like, you know, who has ownership over the decision. So specifically like technical direction in areas maybe beyond your expertise, how do you facilitate those? Like, I love the the principle you talked about of like, your job is to make their expertise applied effectively. So from that point, what does it look like maybe from a technical direction perspective? Different companies work differently. And some companies will have the manager or the organizational leader also responsible for setting technical strategy. I believe that the as an organizational leader, my job is more to verify and convince myself of technical strategy rather than set it. For example, if we're going to move our database, primary database from one thing to another, I would rely on a technical expert or a technical lead, whether that's a chief architect role or whether that's a technical lead for the infrastructure team or whatever. I'll rely on them to sort of drive the plan and drive the understanding of what are our options, which one will we pick, how will we get there. It's on me to convince myself that that is actually the right thing to do, but I'm more editing and verifying work rather than generating it myself, if that makes sense. And I think that setting those expectations around roles and responsibilities is important to set the right expectations for folks. It is empowering for them as a technical lead for the infrastructure team to be responsible and accountable for the technical decisions of the team. And in doing so, I think you create a healthy relationship where you're leveraging the best of everybody on your team without necessarily doing it all yourself. Matt, are you ready for some rapid fire questions? I'm ready for the first two. <laughs> Perfect. What are you reading or listening to right now? So I played in a band for a really long time. And five years ago, we played our last show. And next month, we're playing a reunion show in New York City. It's a Pearl Jam cover band. and I'm really excited about it. And what I've been listening to recently is the two-hour set list that we're putting together in three weeks that I need to dust off and get ready for because it's been a long time since I've played these songs. I'm excited. I love it. And I know you and I talked about sampling one of your other bands at some point in the show. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll layer in some of that right now in, this, uh, in the rapid-fire section as the transition. Next question, what tool or methodology has had a big impact on you? The two biggest inflection points I've had in my career were these two realizations. One, when I wanted to move into management in the first place, I asked a former manager for some advice. The suggestion was to put myself in the way of opportunity. And specifically in this case, it was join a company that was growing faster than it could hire. And in that world, if you're doing good work and they need someone to do something, and you've maybe never done that before, but you've done good work in the work that you've been assigned to, and you're interested, there's more like, it's, you're more likely to be able to take on those opportunities. The other big unlock that I've had is maybe five years ago or so, realizing that I had more control or influence on my circumstances than I'd previously thought. Where this manifested was in feedback, and I'd sort of expected my manager to give me feedback, but my manager was very busy. The scope of my role was such that I was the person who had the most context on what I was, what I wanted to work on, where I wanted feedback, and whatever, like where I might even be getting feedback. And so I realized 
getting feedback was my responsibility, not my manager's responsibility. And that translated to a broader sense of ownership on everything that was happening. If I wasn't getting the right context on something in order to set a strategy, it was my responsibility to go get that context. And that sort of mindset shift to like realize that I had more, more was in my control than I had expected was another big unlock for me as well. Those are really powerful. I love, I love those two examples. I've got a couple of people I'm talking to right after this that I'm, I'm going to share the join a company who's growing faster than they can hire and put yourself in the way of opportunity framework. I think that's so powerful. Last rapid fire question. Is there a quote or mantra that you live by or a quote that's really been resonating with you right now? Nothing is not your problem and you can control more than you think you can. So go get it. Ending with ownership. I think that's a powerful way to close this off. Matt, thank you so much for for helping share some insights around just navigating the whole world of expanding your domain expertise and, and going beyond areas that you have direct experience in. Just thanks for so many powerful frameworks and principles and approaches here and so many great stories. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being on the podcast and thanks so much for a great conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership 